Welcome to And Then an Aeroplane, Episode 4. Um, I am your host, uh, Autumn June, and as always, my co-host is M. Hi. Hi. We're here to be sad. We're here to be sad. Uh, I didn't say this. This is a Ghibli movie rewatch podcast, and uh, for this episode, we're doing Grave of the Fireflies. So we are here to be sad. (laughs) We're here to be. This is the this is the hard part. Everything is downhill from here. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, maybe one of the ones I haven't seen is sad. That's possible. Can't imagine it's going to be like this. Yeah, a movie th- notable for like, ruining people's days. <laughs> I can't imagine sad movies in our future. I can't imagine anything like making me feel desolated like this. Uh, we'll yeah. get to it in a minute. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Grave of the Fireflies uh, was released in 1988. Um, it is the first Ghibli movie that was uh, directed by Isao Takahata. Uh, it was also written by him. Uh, he had been previously a huge collaborator um, in the. He'd been a huge collaborator in the previous movies, and going forward, he starts directing more features. Um, uh, the music is not by Joe Hisaishi this time. Uh, it is by Michio. Ma- uh, Mamiya, um, and I don't believe Miyazaki has any credits on this movie at all, at no. least glancing at the Wikipedia page. No, this is an adaptation of a short story uh, by the same name from Akiyuki Nosaka. And then the thing with the short st- uh, with Ghibli at the time is Miyazaki was off making uh, Totoro, which is our next film, mm-hmm. uh, which this movie aired in a double feature with Totoro, where you'd watch Grave of the Fireflies, and then you'd watch My Neighbor Totoro, which just sounds like the <sighs> most emotionally wrung out a person could possibly be. Did, which one would you watch first? Like, would you try to, like, chill out after this movie with Totoro? Or well, that, that's, wanna... that's how they showed it. They showed, they showed Fireflies first, then Totoro. Um... <sighs> And the problem with that was, is you can't take your kids to go see Grave of the Fire. I mean, you could, but it would be a, a, an emotionally rot thing to do as a parent. I think. Oh, God. Um, 
Before we get too much further, do you want to do uh, the summary of this movie? Yeah, sure. Uh, Grave of the Fireflies takes place in the waning days of World War II in Japan. Uh, it is a uh, brother and sister. Uh, Seda uh, is the boy and his younger sister. He's like, maybe like, what, like four, 12, 14, something I like think that? It, yeah, I think it's 12 or 14. Um, and then he has a, a little sister named uh, Setsuko, who is like four. Um, and they are caught up in air raids uh, and their mother dies and they have to make their way through uh, war-torn Japan. And uh, it opens with uh, Seda being like, it's 21st September 1945. This is the day I died. And then he dies. Uh, and then it flashes back to all of his memories in the whatever like year or so leading up to this point uh where he and his uh sister uh go to their like their mother dies in the firebombing and then they go to their aunts and their aunt turns out to be miserly with her like willingness to feed them because they're not contributing to the war effort so they decide he decides to take her and live in the wilderness and then uh can't survive because no one has any food and she dies of malnutrition and then he presumably goes to the city and dies after the war is over on yeah. his own it's a it's a bummer <laughs> it's a bummer <laughs> so i finished watching this movie and then and went and just kind of flopped down on my bed and didn't do anything for 10 minutes just kind of stared at the ceiling it's rough <laughs> yeah uh, i have to ask did you cry at this movie um oh yes uh, a little, so I saw this movie as like a teen, was not told what it was about, just put it in. Mm-hmm. I figured it'd be a little sad looking at it or whatever. Didn't mm-hmm. know, uh, and just had like the hardest cry that I've ever had in my life. Um, <sighs> but so I, and I hadn't revisited it since then. So revisiting it now, I was like, is this going to really ruin my life or is this just going to like, am I going to be over it? And I was not over it, but it didn't like quite destroy me. So a little bit at the beginning where like the ways in which like it, I forgot the framing device of him already dead, like being a ghost reliving mm-hmm. these memories. Um, that got me. And then at the very, very end when he's cremating, uh, Setsuko, that got me real good. Yeah. This time, um, Right before the cremation, um, they play an opera record, um, or a family plays an opera record, and we see, like, scenes of Setsuko, like, playing in the, uh, in the cave they're living in, and that, like, got to me real bad. Um, I saw this movie probably, like, seven years ago, I want to say, and, um... I was to- I was told it was extremely sad that it was going to ruin my life, et cetera, et cetera, and I was like, "Oh, I bet it's not as bad as people were saying. Uh, I bet it's being overhyped." Um, and no, I didn't think it was overhyped at all. And then, you know, in the years since then, like leading up to watching it yesterday, I started to think maybe I've overhyped this for myself again. Maybe like it's not going to upset me in the way that it did last time. Nope. Still, still just tore me the fuck up. Um, oh, that's fair. Yeah. Uh, I have to say, like, even watching this, like, I knew the plot beats. I knew, like, it, it's a movie that definitely pulls at, like, your heartstrings. The score is maybe the most, like, just slip a knife right between your ribs uh-huh. soundtrack I've ever heard. Uh, it's, it's so slight, but, like, when it hits, it's like, it re- like, the stuff that is there is very powerful. Yeah, because it doesn't play it as, like, 
too emotionally overwrought. Like it, this is a movie that like knowing what it's about and knowing its reputation is very easy to think that it's going to like slip into melodrama or just be like a sort of like grief porn version of like like dramatic filmmaking and it's not the the way it gets you is by being really light and often like very warm and then just crushing your soul Mm -hmm. it's like it's it's almost a really boring movie because like you just have so many scenes of them just like out playing on the beach or like um chilling out and playing a keyboard and like in a way that's like I kept because I kind of had forgotten a lot of stuff I kept waiting for some melodramatic shoe to drop and that never happened because like starving to death does not have a big event they just slowly starve to death and it's it, it captures that really well I thought um yeah and yeah there's a, it's it really because I'd forgotten so much, I was surprised at how warm this is, at how like loving the two kids are with each other. Um, and yeah, like there's a lot of moments uh, of like joy as everything is like just very, very, very slowly going to hell. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel there's a weird thing. I feel like lots of I I feel like I've said this a lot. I've feel like when we talked about this movie before we, we watched it, uh, I would see lots of people in Discord say, like, oh yeah, I just promised myself I was never going to watch that movie again, um, because of the way that it is. There's certainly works that can be, like, difficult to the point where you don't want to put yourself through that again, right? Like, right. if it wasn't for this podcast, I probably wouldn't have watched this movie again. Uh, I've been watching these... I've been watching these with my partner and uh, she was like, I don't want to watch that again. And I was like, okay, well I'll just watch it by myself then. Uh, Which was fine. Um, And it wasn't as bad. Like the thing is I like watching this as a teen. uh, I took the emotional content out of it, but I don't remember. I didn't remember a lot of the like thematic material, which is much more than like kids are in war. War is bad. Kids die because of the war. Like there's, I think there's a lot more going on here that is like Mm. interesting and sympathetic in different degrees than you would think would be like in a movie like this. Um, which is the stuff that like really surprised me and that I really liked. Uh, I almost I, like this is one where I was like, uh, maybe I, I said I wasn't going to watch the English version. I was like, maybe I should give it a shot. I didn't get around to it because mm-hmm. uh, it's been busy and I didn't really want to put myself through that again. But um, and it's like like when I like normally I was looking, I look up voice actors for this. But as far as I can tell, most people in this movie didn't do anything uh, other than this huh. movie. So uh, at least nothing that's listed listed on like English language websites. Um, huh. So. Yeah, we we uh, watched it in Japanese because I'd um, I'd seen that there was an older dub and a newer dub, um, and I couldn't find much information about the newer dub just from like a quick glance at Wikipedia. And I'm like, well, I know I've watched this in Japanese before, and like um, I don't want to mess around with like watching five minutes and deciding I hate some new English voice cast and like switching over or something. So yeah, that's fair. Um, and yeah, didn't, didn't really want to watch this movie like two times this week. <laughs> yes. <sighs> yeah. I was also watching this as a teen versus watching this now. Um, there was just a lot of like stuff about Japanese history that I did not know that I like know now. And like, 
is good context to watch this movie in. Like, I don't think when I watched this in a teen that I realized, um, he says he died September 21st, 1945. Like, I don't think as a teen, I realized that that is a month after the war ends. Yes. Um, which is like, like a huge context thing that I think is really important, um, to watch the entire movie in, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, so for me rewatching this, the thing that really struck me is like, there's a lot of like anime and media specifically. Like, I run a Gundam podcast, and a lot the, the joke about Gundam is that it's like you watch Gundam and you go, War is Hell versus Wow Cool Robot is the dynamic. And uh, the podcast that I run is very much about trying to move beyond that because that conversation is not very interesting. And I think it's really easy to look at a movie like Rare of the Fireflies and be like, oh, this is the cost of war. Um, but uh, I don't think that's necessarily true. And Takahata has explicitly said that it wasn't necessarily meant to be that um, compared to a lot of other World War II media in that he wanted a movie about like the isolation that happens to people and the pain that that causes. And that's the thing that really struck me is this is a movie about the way in which like a war d- removes the facade of a social safety net and just leaves people to exist on their own and who falls through the cracks. And the answer is children and people who are not able to like scrounge or deal or be stingy enough to make their way through this time of suffering. Yeah. The, um, the ant character like totally took me by surprise. Like I'd totally forgotten about her, uh, in the years since then. And like, just the, the way she is so, so cruel to them throughout this movie. And, I don't want to say I sympathize with her, but I, like, you almost get it because you see how this war would just, like, make you the absolute worst version of yourself, you know? Yeah. Um, and, like, yeah, i just totally forgotten about the way that she is cruel to these kids. And then, like, even after um, they leave her, like, uh, we see the character, uh, the farmer, who gets really mad at them for stealing sugar and you like kind of get it because they're stealing sugar in wartime, but also like let these fucking children have some sugar. Jesus Christ. Um, yeah. Uh, but like the, the, the thing there is like, we all, we live in like a period where like most of our lives, we've always, our country's always been at war. We're both Americans, but it doesn't really affect our lives very much. Right. Like, yeah, we, we just kind of resent the fact that we live in the awful society we do. And then we read about it on the news and that's it. Like for these people, like they're out of everything. This is the end of a total war that has taken all of the men who are of fighting age away. And most of them are probably dead. Like that aunt's husband is probably dead. Um, they're all being rationed and increasing desperation. Like the guy gives them stuff originally and then he trades with them and then he refuses to give them anything because he doesn't have anything left to give. Um, and watching that deterioration as like the aunt ha- is like a distant relative and has social obligations, but then the kids show up and then other people show up. And then like, eventually she's feeding five people. And the question becomes like, this is a, like, I have, I've done my duty, my obligation socially. I'm running low on everything. What do I do? And she never kicks the kids out, right? Like they choose mm-hmm. to leave and the, her, her, like the, the thing where she should have stepped in is by not letting them go. And she just lets them go. Like I've done my duty. If they want to leave, that's up to them. Um, mm-hmm. which is very much a decision you make when you are like harried and everything is falling apart around you. Um, but it's it's interesting to see that sort of stuff because like 
they're characters that do still have like a sense of compassion. Like at the end, when the farmer beats up uh, Seda and brings him into the police station, the police officer who has a job and probably has like things around him, like gives Seda a glass of water and sends him on his way. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's uh that's a significant difference in between him and the civilians who have been left behind and are not part of the government who have nothing. Mm-hmm. Well, and there's a, there's the interesting stuff with like, Really early on, um, like the kids get like really good uh, rations because their father is in the war effort, and like mm-hmm. that just immediately dissolves as it, it's like just not going to be possible to give them that. Um, and like there's the there was a scene that's like really upsetting um, at the end where like he gets a special ration of charcoal. Like he has to specially request a ration of charcoal to cremate his sister. And it's, it's heart wrenching, um, to see like people brought to this point, you know, um, Mm. and, uh, there was a scene I keep thinking about, um, somewhere around the middle point of the film where they're in the bomb shelter and you overhear, the aunt talking to like the other women in the town about like how she's done these kids a great service. And like, she's like clearly like getting some like social favor from like doing this great kindness to them. But like, we know the reality is that she's like also being very cruel to them. And like, yeah, it's, um, I don't know that I, I have some great point about all of that, but it's all heartbreaking. And it like, makes sense even though i really am not like on her side i guess no she's not a sympathetic figure but the situation is such like a a push to such an extreme like seda decides that he does like he doesn't want to be badgered about like getting a job uh because he's 12 uh in a world where like in in japan this era there's probably a lot of 12 year olds who have jobs uh and it's not like she's not feeding them. Like, she's not feeding them as well as she's feeding the people who are going out to do jobs. But, like, the friction becomes he is a child being forced to make adult situ- like decisions and is not capable of doing that. And there's no one to step in and say he's not capable. So he's just allowed to make those decisions and doom him and his sister, right? Right. Because, like, like he, he ends up where, like, he's like, oh, I'm going to do the adult thing, which is move out on my own. But, like. He doesn't actually know how to do that because he's 12 years old. Yeah, there's know? nowhere to move. There's nowhere to move to. He has no money uh, and no one has any food. Like there's no there's no s- s- like support system for him to do that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. they end up living in a cave where there's no food and like he might be fine. But a four year old's not going to be fine when she already like she won't eat stuff he steals uh, and she doesn't like a lot of food and she's four. So you can't force her to do anything. Um, you can't like rationalize the four year old who's mm-hmm. like in a very distressing state. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, which is not to say like, oh, he, like, uh, the aunt like was a good person, uh, or that like, it's understanding why, why she let them go. I think that's a bad decision on her part. Um, but like, this is, this is like a microcosm of a very specific situation that happens all the time where like parents don't look after their kids or people who are poor end up in situations where they are left fend themselves because people think that they will figure it out. Uh, and some people do not figure it out. Uh, people losing their jobs and ability to survive, uh, happens all the time, uh, war or not. Yeah. There's like ways that this just mirrors like 
being orphaned now and like either being sent into the foster care system or ending up with a relative who didn't anticipate having to care for a child. Like it's a very different thing, but like there are like common things between like those sorts of stories and this, you know? Yes. And like there, the thing about them being kids is that like, they still do so many kid things. Like I, I mentioned this earlier, like so many scenes of the, in this movie are just them playing because they are kids. And like, I, there's a uh, moment that really sticks with me where they're playing on the beach and like some other people like look at them funny. And it's like, why are you, why are you playing on the beach? If this is, we're at war, you know, like we're having to get seawater and separate the salt from the water. But like, they're kids. They don't know what else to do but play. <laughs> yeah, uh, the scene I think of is early on when they're at the school where his, his their mother's been taken in, and he sees that she's mortally injured, uh, and he comes out and doesn't know to tell her, and he lies to her and tells her that she's, you know, going to a hospital in another town. Uh, she hunches down and cries, and then he decides he's going to distract her by doing, like, spins on a vertical bar, um, and is like, hey, watch me, and does this. She doesn't look up once, and the scene goes on so long that you realize that he's not doing this for her, he's doing this for him. He is also coping as poorly as possible with a very impossible situation. Yeah, there's a there's a little incidental like animation bit in that hospital that's not even those two, but you just see like two kids like running and playing through rows of like injured people, and it's just like a two second thing like happening like in part of a frame that's not even the two main characters, but it was just like oh yeah, kids are just going to play during these like terrible situations because that's what children do mm -hmm. and I, the movie is very clear about like showing that the, this tragedy doesn't touch everyone like by the end of the yeah. movie or at the beginning of the movie the people who work in the train station are totally apathetic to the idea that there's just going to be orphans dying in the train station every night mm -hmm. um like they're just they're just debris that needs to be cleaned up um and it's ha handled very dispassionately but not like in a these people are evil it's like this is what the situation leads to because this is the norm the new norm for these people um but then also you have like they live in that that abandoned bomb shelter there's little more than a cave with like a f door frame um but it's across the pond from a like a mansion that was left as the people like fled from the war and when the war is over all the rich people come back in and are completely ignorant to the fact that like this minor tragedy has happened across their like nice boating pond as they put on this opera record right and like it's easy to imagine the movie that is about them about like these kids um in this family have to leave their home or like evacuated and like they probably went through a difficult few months as well but like you know, their, their social class, like their difficult few months is like just so wildly different from what these kids went through. And it's also like easy to imagine a version of this movie where like their home is destroyed in the firebombing. And like, you know, that would just, this could very easily have happened to them. You know, if Americans had just dropped their bombs, like, you know, a few miles in a different direction, you know, Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, the specificity of like Americans bombing Japan is not really in this movie. It, like, it's not relevant to the story that they're telling. And so there's very little time spent on it. Um, there was an interview that Takahata, uh, gave specifically about like, 
the the anonymity is important because this is about like the things that happen to Japanese people by Japanese people, not necessarily like a calamity inflicted on them by like foreigners. Um, mm. Because uh, this is the reason that he adapted this uh, short story, despite having lived through like World War II himself, uh, was he saw this as a way to like reach out to people in the 80s, like kids in the 80s who looked upon that generation as like nobler, like greatest generation lived through this grand tragedy, kind of the way that uh, in the US we talk about like people who lived through the Great Depression and show them that no, this was just people like we all they lived and they made mistakes and it sucked for a lot of people. And the ways in which it was bad are relatable and understandable to how it's bad now. Um, and that stuff's really important to reach back to to understand that history is not a people different than ourselves, like the, the narrative is relatable because everyone suffers similarly through time. Yeah. Something um, that I think really surprised me the first time I saw this movie uh, as a teen and a little bit surprised me this time is like no one, um, no one in this movie says the words atomic bomb or Hiroshima or Nagasaki. Like the, the, the nukes are not talked about because like there were, countless people outside of those two cities that were um, hurt by American air raids. And like the story is a lot broader than those two specific incidents, though that like there's probably a lot of stories that come out of those two incidents that like mirror this one, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, there's, there's tons of stories like through that time. There are stories about like anime is full of nuclear analogs, right? Right. Like, we we're talking about Gundam a year after this, uh, a Gundam movie comes out that is entirely about like the questions of using weapons of mass destruction. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are other World War II anime, like uh, we got an email from someone about Barefoot uh, again, which I did not get a chance to watch, which I meant to, that is about a child in World War II. But I think it's more explicitly about a child like who survives or witnesses the atomic bomb. Um, and there's just a lot of media already about that. And the reality is like the firebombing did as much damage to people in vast swaths as nuclear weapons did. Um because these were entirely wooden cities that were, you know, fire rain from the sky and they all, the entire thing burnt down. Mm-hmm. I, I read that um, email and I had not seen, um, I had not seen either of the movies that that person mentioned in the email. Um, mm-hmm. But I did think about um, uh, Bicycle Thieves, which is like uh-huh. an Italian movie from, like, I think from, I want to say 1948 or something. I'll Google it real quick. Um that um is about like post-war italy that i think is like i would imagine was a big inspiration for this movie because it is also like about like it is a very like slow movie about like poverty and starving and like living outside of the system because there isn't any system um in post-war italy and in like like end the end of the war japan like, it's not like the war ended and all these people are, right? Like, Aseda dies after the war has ended. Like, the reconstruction is a, was a long process that took decades, right? Suppose, like, it's worth talking about, like, this is the first of the Ghibli movies we watched that is explicitly about Japan. Um, everything before this has been nebulous Japanese Europe, high fantasy. Um, and this is, you know, as far as anime goes, like you're a realist film. Um, 
And I think that's an interesting shift, um, and makes it, marks it as different in like the kind of anime films that even get talked about, um, from this era. Uh, I know that the short story uh, had been turned down, like the author turned down adapting it multiple times until uh, the idea of doing it animated to come up because the idea of depicting World War II Japan, like what it looked like when entire cities were leveled in a way that like realistically depicted that like horror and devastation, but didn't also, but could still also capture the parts where this is a story about two kids who live their lives and were some like oftentimes really happy just being together uh, would be hard to do uh, live action. We watched the trailer for the live action movie uh, from 2005. There's two live action versions of this movie and doesn't capture anything close to the visual dynamism of the film itself. No, it's like, it's like shocking how flat that movie looks. Um, And I don't think like, I don't think any live action film could, be what this movie is you know mm-hmm. um it, it seems like it would it seems like it would be much just more corny and like not like get across what it is trying to say in live action i also um just to kind of talk about this movie in the context of ghibli like i just think this movie like not to say that Nausicaa and Castle in the Sky aren't beautiful, but I was really shocked by, like, how fluid a lot of the animation in this movie was. It, like, took me by surprise. Like, I just think, like, there's a lot of really small moments that just look really gorgeous in this movie. And it took me by surprise because I remember this just being such a slight thing, but I think, like, the animation in this is really exceptional. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a really beautiful movie. Uh, there was, I, looking at the production stuff, there was talk about like trying to do different, like experimental animation techniques to capture it because of how unique the story was for things that get adapted. Um, ended up like the realities of production are they're making an anime movie. It's going to look like anime. Um, hmm. but you know, Ghibli is known for exceptionally well animated, like backgrounds and characters. And I think that's true here. Um, it's also rendered in a much softer style. Like all of the, like outline work is done in brown. Uh, all of the like background paintings are much softer in a way that you don't, you won't really see in these kind of movies until they like switch to digital and you can do whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think I like, I, I think of like the, the trees and the, the lake outside of their like bomb shelter as stuff that they don't replicate in Ghibli movies until like Arietti or maybe Spirited Away, like something that has like the density of digital painting and effects to do that sort of work. Right. Um, it's still, it still to me looks like a Ghibli movie, but like in general, like the Takahata movies have a pretty different look from, um, the Miyazaki movies and like it was interesting that even with this very early one I could start to kind of catch like how their um, art styles differ a little bit and I think like they continue to get a little more different over the years I haven't seen any of the other Takahata movies so I'm very excited to watch those I haven't like I haven't seen I don't think I've seen any of these movies in full but like just from, like, I've watched a lot of trailers on YouTube uh, recently, and, like, I know at the very least, like, uh, The Tale of Princess uh, Kaguya and My neighbor, my Neighbors the Yamadas look, like, don't look like what I think of Ghibli movies looking like. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know off the top of my head what Only Yesterday and Pompoko look like compared to, like, Nausicaa or whatever. Yeah. I 
do we want to go into uh, listener mail? Yeah. Okay, we have some questions. If you want to send us questions, you can send them to podcast at abnormalmapping.com about next movie we're covering, uh, any other movies we've covered in the past or any we're going to cover in the future. Um, we won't get to them until that happens, but we have a couple emails today. Uh, let's see. The first one is uh, from Adam. This was specifically asking about uh, Barefoot Gen or In This Corner of the World, uh, uh, which are both World War II movies. Uh, or anime. I don't, I've never heard of in this corner of the world. It might be a show. I assume it's a movie, but I don't know. Um, and, uh, the answer obviously is no, we have not. I, yeah, I, 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 I kind of want to go see them now. Um, just based on, I don't know that Adam's recommending them, but I'm kind of curious about them now. I had not heard of either of them before Adam's email. Well, I know specifically Takahata was not happy with the what Barefoot Gen was about in terms of its depiction of World War II. I didn't get a chance to watch it. I will. Um, maybe I'll talk about it next time we do one of these uh, briefly. I'll probably talk about it on the Gundam podcast if you listen to that, um, because I talk about everything that's not here on there. I'm also probably going to talk about this movie on Gundam next week also, which will... Uh, be out in a couple days when this comes out because I have I have some thoughts about the way people talk about Gundam revisiting this movie. Okay, <laughs> uh, that aren't really necessarily appropriate here, but um, people have bad opinions about Gundam. <laughs> people have a lot of bad opinions about Gundam app out there. Uh, blessed to be in the abnormal mapping Discord, where mostly people have good opinions about Gundam. Yeah, uh, we got an email from Hunter. Uh, what is a movie you two never want to watch again? Mine is Grave of the Fireflies. <laughs> Um, I mean, like, there are two movies I remember telling myself I was never going to watch again, uh, Grave of the Fireflies, which I have now rewatched, and, uh, Antichrist by Lars von Trier. I don't think I'd that wa- one's changing. I'd watch Antichrist right now. I, <laughs> I think Antichrist is great. I mean, Lars von Trier sucks. He's a creep, but that movie's good. I remember, uh, being, like, 15 and, like, staring at that movie for, like, hours trying to figure out if it was feminist or not, and... That was that was a bad time. That's a bad way to think about movies, especially Lars von Trier movies. That movie's gross. <laughs> it is gross, um, <sighs> and I think asking if it's feminist is missing the point. I think it's uh, I think it's a, I think it's I think it's aware of what it's about and handle raises interesting points. I don't. It's a movie well worth of discussion. Um, yeah, we covered just, it in our movie podcast repertory screenings a long time ago when it wasn't called that. Uh, but uh, I, I like that movie quite a bit. Um, I like there was a period where as like, you know, once upon a time I was a film boy um, and watched a lot of like the edgy horror movies that everyone's like, oh, these are the most extreme ones. Um, and I don't really want to watch any of those again, but I don't know if that's in the spirit of this question um, necessarily. 
Um, because this implies like something that's just too wrenching for you to go through again. And I don't know if I have any of those. Hmm. I have movies that I think would upset me rewatching them, but I think I could be prompted to reappraise anything. Part of that is like critic brain, right? Like it's really easy to do anything if you're going to turn it into like, I'm going to have something to say at the end of this and I'm going to put it out there in the world. Um, yeah, I could imagine watching Antichrist again for a podcast, but that's really the only, um, context i could imagine doing that <laughs> that's fair uh, um we have another email from tron who sent yeah. a lot of questions uh, a lot of these i think we um answered yeah I'm, answered. Gonna, I'm just gonna go through the ones that i think are uh relevant we haven't talked about um what do you think of Setsuko as a character? Um, I think it's really good. You don't see like kids acting like kids in anime very much. No, and I was um, at least in the Japanese, like the voice actor is like really convincing and really good. Um, I remember, like I say, I just glanced at the Wikipedia to see like are these dubs any good or like do they make some big changes? And I saw like on the Wikipedia it mentions like oh, the English actor for Setsuko is not very convincing. I'm like, well, that would break the movie, you know? Like, if yes. you don't believe her as a four-year-old, like, the, the movie doesn't work, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I love Setsuko. Um, uh, do you like fireflies? Yeah, I used to live somewhere where we would have fireflies in the backyard sometimes, and I remember catching them as a little kid, which makes this movie just, like, 5% more uh, gut-wrenching. <laughs> yeah, I I mean I still live in a place where there would be fire there'll be fireflies in the summer. I haven't caught fireflies in 25 years, but uh definitely uh used to. Uh I don't know what kid living in a place that has fireflies did not run around catching fireflies at night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um do you all think this movie was not reveling too much in trauma and darkness? Um I really appreciated the moments of levity and joy in this movie. We kind of talked about this uh And I just wanted to say, like, yeah, I was worried that this would be, like, just dark for the sake of darkness. uh, Mm. And I don't think it's that at all. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, it'd be really easy to make this. It'd be a much less effective movie if it was just miserable all the time, right? Mm. (laughs) Um, Have you ever cooked rice in a steel pan before? Uh, Tron goes on to describe crunchy rice at the bottom of a pan. Uh, in Spanish, it is called uh, pegao, uh, and it's tasty. Uh, cr- this, the rice that cooks at the bottom is very tasty. I love I, that um, I mostly cook rice in a rice cooker because I cook Japanese short grain rice, and it's for rice bowls and stuff. Every once in a while, I'll throw it in the wok and give it a little crunch by overcooking the bottom, but it doesn't get crunchy in the rice cooker, unfortunately. It's the one downside of cooking rice that way. That's, that is, I've never owned a rice cooker, so I've always um, just cooked them in pans and always had, like, crusty bits at the bottom um i used to try and like avoid that and now i've just accepted that oh yeah this stuff is really tasty and weird and good yeah uh what was your favorite looking shot or scene in the movie there's a there's a really early bit um where uh setsuko leaves with or Seto leaves with Setsuko on his back, um, and they forget Setsuko's doll or her shoe or something. And like uh, the doll, they run back into the frame and like look past it, and like you, the viewer, can see where where she left it. Um, but like the characters keep looking past it, and that's just like a very cute little moment. Um, 
that I think brought a lot of heart to the early part of the film. Uh, mine is there's a scene maybe around like like a third of the way into the movie where uh, Seda goes back to his home, which has been destroyed. And after he's like digging around for all the like food they buried and like kimono and stuff, he stops and washes his face in like a broken water pipe. Mm -hmm. And it's just like a really earnest like this kid is just a he's just a child. He's just a baby. He should be in school. Right. Uh, and it's, it's just like a like any kid in the middle of summer when it's hot out would do this like at a fire hydrant or a hose or something and it's very relatable mm. uh what did you all think about how planes were treated in this movie uh given our title i feel like it would be remiss not to talk about <laughs> it's, this it's really interesting to see um just like very rigid planes in this movie like i feel like um the ones we've seen uh in prior movies have been like almost feel, feel like they're alive a lot of the time are given a lot more like character i want to say but these are just like, mm. a lot of them are just like paintings of planes moving across a background painting, um, like mm. very static, very um, like clearly made of like iron and steel, you know? Yeah. Uh, the thing I like is to me that the way in which they are dehumanized uh so many of Miyazaki's films are about planes as like the, this, like an extension of the person, this like dream of flight that's really beautiful. And these planes are like, is like a bad storm that blows through. Like you look up, you see it, there's nothing you can do. It's going to drop the bombs or it's not. Uh, there's a scene really late where Seda looks up and sees a plane and like goes to take cover, but it just, it's flying overhead and leaves and nothing happens that I think is like, just reveals how much planes are burned into everyone's brain is like, this is where all of the bad things come from uh, that I think uh, is very good. And it's something that Miyazaki would never right. do. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then one last question about the last scene. Uh, the last scene is where they climb, like after well, we've seen all this happen, both characters die, their ghosts sit on a bench and it overlooks like a modern Japanese city like you know gleaming skyscrapers uh uh for me i like like i think the the most like humane way you can depict history is to make it relatable to people um i i feel like especially you know went to an american school the history we were taught was both biased and boring because no one ever made it approachable and when you're making fiction like this that you want to reach people that are you know several generations several many decades and literal an entire culture removed from the situation uh making sure that you tie this reality into like this stuff happened these cities wiped off the map and what replaced them were the skyscrapers you live in like there's no mcdonald's if you know this city did not get firebombed 80 years ago um and i think that that's important like an important thing to hold and remember um right yeah because i guess all that stuff like, is built, like, after the reality of, like, uh, America's, like, I'm stumbling over the words, but, like, imperialism they did on Japan. <laughs> I can't quite, like, put the words together in my head, but, like, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and then uh, we got one last email from Nora, uh, which talks a bit about the experience of watching this movie for the first time, having it been talked up so egregiously. Um but not really knowing what it was about, which is an interesting thing. Cause I feel like people talk, people do talk about this movie in like maybe overwrought hush tones, but never about the specifics in a way that yeah. is, uh, I think, I think it does the film a disservice. Um, 
but also like every everyone who watched it at a certain age went through the experience of being devastated by it so it is like a communal experience of this is the thing we all suffered through together even though it's good it's still rough right um right and i think i'm definitely like a person who does that a a person who like talks about like how this movie made me feel but not like what mm. the movie is you know yeah um so Nora's question uh, ends up being, uh, what piece of art has subverted your expectations or uh, shaken your perception of it most severely? Uh, have you ever had a work hang over you despite n- knowing nothing about the material? Um, I know, I feel like I have this um, a lot. Actually, the thing, um, I feel like a lot of the times I go into like media with like, some preconceived notion about it and then like it always surprises me in a way the thing that jumps immediately to mind was um the first time i watched there will be blood i was like i don't know why people like this movie so much i just remember being told that it's the best movie ever and then like for three days i couldn't stop thinking about it even though i hadn't liked it and so i watched it like three or four days later and was like oh this is one of the best movies (laughs) that's always a great feeling it it always sucks when it goes the other way (laughs) Right, right. <laughs> yeah, the the other way is like real bad and I was I was worried about like having having it go the other way with Grave of the Fireflies and was have pleasantly surprised again, I guess. Um But yeah, I feel like um I'm just a person who will put weird expectations on media without realizing it um if I hear people like overhype it. Um and yeah, there will be blood is the one that immediately came to mind for me. Um, yeah, the thing when I think about this, the thing I think about a lot is this happened to me a lot with video games. I run a video game podcast called Abnormal Mapping, what the network's named after. Um, and there's so many things that I have gone to with all these ideas of what they are, and then are very, then very surprised by what it, the actual reality is. Um, I currently exist in this null space where Gundam is that has been that in the past and still is that. Um, there is a whole year where me and Jackson are very worried about a thing called Char's counterattack that's hanging over our heads and don't know what it is or what it could possibly mean. And then we got through it and that was a whole thing. And then now we have this new thing called Gundam Unicorn that we're going to be watching in three years hanging over our heads and we don't know what it is and are very worried about it. Um, and just living in that space, uh, it's, it's all, it's honestly kind of nice. It's very hard to do when you're online because, uh, spoilers are everywhere. Um, and people are rude. Uh, and it's very easy to just find things out for yourself if you want to like Google something. Um, but I kind of like the, I, I like this friction a lot in media. I like feeling like I know a thing and then someone being like, you should do it anyway. And then getting like trying to get over myself and do it anyway. Um, I, I'm usually surprised. And even if it's not like good surprise, I usually have something to come out of it. Um, uh, I, I, you know, I don't need a thing to be great as long as I have something to take away from it. The problem is when something I don't have something to take away from. That's always a miserable experience. Yeah, you you also reminded me when you talked about spoilers uh, of like, I both, I had this a little bit with Twin Peaks, where I, I didn't watch Twin Peaks until um, the return was like halfway finished airing. Uh-huh. Um, and so like, I definitely had the experience where everybody had talked about how good, how important, um, et cetera, how, how Twin Peaks is. Um, and I had this image in my head of it as a, like, as a certain type of thing, but like no one had 
luckily no one had spoiled me on anything that happened in Twin Peaks, so there was still like a lot of stuff that could surprise me in that show, and it ended up being like a, a show that is like monumentally important. To I, me. I also um, I also made it through watching the first season of Twin Peaks unspoiled. Uh, I did it shortly before, like the season three was like rumored, but not yet in production when that happened. Um, and I can't yeah. believe I didn't get spoiled on some of the stuff in that show. <laughs> The only thing I got spoiled on was episode eight of The Return, somehow. Okay, The, re- was just the Return like, I was watching as it was coming out, thankfully, so did not happen to me, but... Um. With The with the Return, I, uh... Because I, ha- I kind of finished watching... I finished watching the first two seasons, like, about a week after it ended, uh-huh. um, and so I watched Firewalk with me, and then, um... I think Labor Day, or... Some other, like, late-in-the-year three-day weekend, I got the Showtime free trial uh, and watched all of The Return in a one three-day weekend, which is a hell of a thing to do to yourself. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> it is not a good way to live. I would not recommend... I would recommend people just, like, sign up for Showtime for an entire month or just, like, spend a lot of time with The Return, not, like, try to blitz through it, because that is a bad... <laughs> A bad thing to do to your emotions, a bad thing to do to your body, honestly. Like, I was not eating enough that mm-hmm. weekend. It's bad. <laughs> here's, here's, like, uh, another bit about Gundam. I, I, don't, I don't mean to keep bringing up Gundam, but it's only in this movie I think is going to happen a lot. Um, we last year watched a... No, beginning of this year? I don't know. We watched a short OVA called uh, 0080 War in the Pocket. And if you haven't seen it, six episodes. It came out in 90... 90? I think it was 90. Um... And is about a kid in like experiencing the end of the war that is in the first Gundam movie. And I was convinced that it was going to be Grave of the Fireflies, but Gundam. And it colored my approach to that material like so incredibly. Um, and it ended up being not that and is interesting in its own right. But that's definitely one where, uh, I was, I was convinced up and down that it was just going to be Grave of the Fireflies, but there's robots now. And, uh, I'm glad that's not true because that, that's a very boring thing to make. <laughs> I I thought it was Grave of the Fireflies, but uh, Gundam, until you told me it's not that, like, two or three weeks ago. Because I hadn't listened to the podcast that y'all did, I hadn't seen it, and so, like, you and I were just talking, you're like, oh no, it's not that. It's not that. <laughs> At all. <laughs> and I was like, okay, uh, color me interested. I mean, I, I was going to watch it at some point yes. anyway, but it just, like, moved up further on my list because of yeah. that. Um, but I think that's I think that's everything we've got for emails. If you want to send them in, of course, uh, again, it's podcast at abnormalmapping.com. Next yeah, time. Where can people find you online? Ne- next oh, time. Yeah, next time. Next time we're watching My Neighbor Totoro. <laughs> it's going to be great. Yeah, yeah. We're all going to like chill out, watch Totoro. Um, Speaking of things that are like quietly devastating, uh, this is a movie my partner won't watch with me after watching it the first time because uh, she uh, lost her mother very tragically uh, and can't handle the plot of Totoro, which is fair and understandable. Um, uh, but that's like one of those movies that you don't think is going to be someone's like big trauma movie because it's the sweetest film in the world, but definitely can be. <laughs> Yeah. Um, which I think is interesting. Yeah, a movie doesn't have to be sad to ruin your life. It could just hit the thing that you are particularly weak to. Yep. Yep. Um, gosh, maybe I'll write an email to this podcast about that specifically, because I'm sure if I thought about it, I would uh, think of that movie. Uh, if you want to write into uh, our your own like... podcast, be my guest. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not trying to think of like a movie that I specifically am weak to in that way. Mm-hmm. I'm 
Now, because I know, I know I could find it if I thought about it. Anyway, um, yeah. Uh, if you want to find me, I'm on Twitter at em underscore being. Um, this podcast is abnormalmapping.com. If you go there, you can find a link to our Discord, which is what I'm going to say you should hang out in uh, this episode. Because we have a good community there. It's relatively small and quiet, and everyone's pretty cheerful and friends. And if you want to talk about movies or Gundam or video games, uh, anything, really, uh, that's a good place to do it. Yeah, I recently... Um stopped checking twitter during my work breaks and just checking the discord instead it's a much better That's way to what live I do. it's nice actually <laughs> <laughs> you can find me on the bad website at uh, allison underscore coffee that's a-l-i-s-o-n underscore coffee there in my pinned tweet you'll find links to export audio which is the podcast i do with my fiance um about nonsense we just started covering teen titans because we kind of missed back when we used to like cover two episodes of a show every week uh and so just like one afternoon decided to start doing teen titans and that will not be all of export audio but it will be a big chunk of export audio for the foreseeable future yeah uh it's good export audio is good but the, the, uh, the the titan show i don't remember the name of it is also good time to go titans it's a custom <laughs> joke okay <laughs> Has has Nora seen has Nora seen Shars Counterattack? No. <laughs> okay. No, because she thought it was like time to go access, like no comma between uh-huh. them, uh, which is a very different meaning to that line. Um, but uh, yeah, actually, as we're recording this, the first episode would have went in the uh, public feed today, and we're doing like episodes one week early over on our patreon which you can find at exportodd.io. yeah it's it's good uh teen titans is a show i have a lot of fond memories of despite not remembering a whole lot of it i remember way more of it than i think i do and also remember way less of it like the two episodes we watched most recently i was like i had no recollection of these but okay okay anyway um sign offs they're really hard
翌朝僕は老石のかけらのような節子の骨をドロップの缶に収めて山を降りそのまま郷へは戻らなかった遅いからおやすみ。